Hey guys, welcome back to episode 11 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast Book 3. Today we'll be reading chapter 11, but first a recap of chapter 10. So we found out Constance left the premises, and right away Mr. Benedict fell asleep. Turns out Constance was playing in the backyard with the ball until it rolled under the hedges near the fence. She went to get it and never came back. Mr. Bain was the one who recounted this story back to Mr. Benedict, and after finding out, he waited ten minutes before he went to check on Constance. The children were very suspicious of him. Everyone except the children went out to look for Constance. The children tried looking for a note maybe Constance left, but there wasn't one. Suddenly, the lights went out in the house, and the radio shut off, and it turns out everything went out in all of Stonetown. Then the salamander with a lot of ten men drove up onto their street. The children were trying to get out of the house, which they finally managed, and hid in the secret cellar across the street. Kate bolted the lock from the inside with her magnet so it wouldn't look too weird. They heard the ten men were are looking for Constance. Rennie had a weird code flashed in his mind, 133N292. And at the end, Milligan came and found them. So that's the end of the summary. But before we begin our episode, I have gotten another message from someone. So, Lily, I give a shout out to you and hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. It has also come to my attention that the questions I mentioned to have put up for my listeners a couple of episodes ago only show up on the Spotify app in my show notes. So if you haven't been able to find them, that is why. Sorry about the inconvenience. I had no idea they would only show up there. Um, so now that you've heard all that information, let's start the episode. Chapter 11. Setups, Clues, and Likely Stories The children emerged from the cellar into a night strobe by blue lights. A very young police officer stood beside his patrol car at the curb, trying in vain to use his radio. When the power went out, Milligan said, he'd shown his credentials to the officer and commanded the car. He knew he needed to get back to the house at once, but he was on the far side of Stonetown in the Quarryside neighborhood, and thanks to a non-functioning traffic lights, the streets were completely snarled. Even using a patrol car's blue lights and siren, not to mention sidewalks and front yards, it had taken him 20 minutes. Of course I shut off the sign when we got close, Milligan said, but stealth was beside the point. They'd already gone. I was just relieved to see they hadn't taken you with them. Officer Williams, these are the children I told you about. The young officer lowered his radio with a trembling hand. He smiled weakly at the children, who could not help but notice his unnaturally pale face. Please, too. I'm glad you're... Um... Milligan clapped him on the shoulder. You should sit down, friend. You're about to faint. The officer obliged by collapsing into his patrol car, and Milligan ushered the children through the front gate, saying, I'm afraid my driving didn't quite agree with him, or perhaps it was my description of the ten men. I thought it was only right he knew about them, since they might be here when we arrived. As Milligan led them around the side of the house, he related what he learned in the last few minutes. There are the broken pieces of your flashlight, Kate, he said, shining his own into the grass, and that depression in the earth is where the man's briefcase fell, and over here... He passed the beam over a mutated patch of ground. Is where Miss Plug grappled with the fellow for a full minute, at least. She was a wrestler in school, you know, an all-American. Obviously, she sensed he was trying to get to his briefcase. You can see how he kept working his way toward it. But Miss Plug kept dragging him back. The children, who saw nothing of the sort, could only nod. Milligan led them on toward the back of the house. In the end, he got his handkerchief to her nose, and that put it right out. She'll be fine, though. She's tough as they come. Woke up when I got here and insisted on helping me, despite her grogginess and no doubt a raging headache. I sent her inside to check on the chamber guards. With luck, they'll have been dispatched quickly, with stock watches and handkerchiefs. If the briefcases came into play, I'll need to administer first aid. You haven't been inside yet? Kate asked. Milligan arched an eyebrow. 
I've only just arrived, Kate. It may surprise you to learn that you're my top priority. They entered the backyard, where the deep tracks of the salamander's treads ran up back to the back steps. Across the yard, the diminished iron fence lay flat upon the crushed hedge, whose branches poked up through a fence palings, twitching and springing. The children had the discomforting impression of a hapless creature penned by the great weight as they told Milligan what they'd seen. The rustling sounds and jerky movements of the branches in the darkness kept causing them to jump and stare. Noise cancellation for the salamander, Milligan frowned, bemused. I hate to say it, but that was a brilliant stroke. In the darkness with no lights and no sound, it was a perfect for a sneak attack, perfect for getting away on the river. The river, Kate said. The salamander is amphibious, after all, and Stonetown River is just blocks away. Dark alleys and lots through all that lay between them and escape. And a security fence or two, but the salamander is no respecter of fences, as you see. A window opened above them, and Miss Plug called down from the chamber guards that they were all right, just frazzled from the shock watches, but she hadn't seen Mr. Bain. What a surprise, Stuggy muttered. There's something else, Miss Plug added, in a deeply troubled tone. Oh, I can hardly bear to. The poor woman's face, framed by the window, was a very picture of shame. The chair is destroyed, the special chair in the chamber. I'm so sorry, Milligan, what an utter failure we were. She withdrew from the window, unwilling to hear any words of forgiveness or comfort Milligan had to offer. Baffled, Milligan looked back at the children. Destroyed? They destroyed the Whisperer? The children were just as baffled as he was. They'd assumed that the Whisperer had been stolen. Not even now the Salamander laden with the Whisperer, and its computers were headed downriver to Stonetown Harbor, or else upriver to some unknown landing, to be delivered once again to the waiting hands of Mr. Curtin. I'd love to believe it, Rennie said, shaking his head. I really would, but I don't. Come with me, Milligan said, and they followed him into the house and down the hidden stairway into the basement, where his flashlight beam illuminated a jumbled mess of blackened, mangled, half-melted computers. Kate whistled in amazement. They burn them? That makes no sense. Why wouldn't he just take them? He did, Rennie said. But the computers... They aren't the Whisperer's computers. If they were, we'd be coughing like crazy. Of course, Kate cried, sniffing the air. No smoke. So it's some kind of setup, Sticky said. But why would Mr. Curtin do it this way? Milligan grunted, to convince the authorities that the Whisperer no longer exists, then it no longer poses a threat. No, I realize that, Siggy said. What I mean is, why did Mr. Curtin do such a bad job of it? If we can tell those computers aren't destroyed here tonight, everyone else can too. Rennie groaned and put his head into his hands. Who was the only person with regular access to the Whisperer? Who was the one about to lose control of it? Mr. Benedict, Siggy whispered, as if he didn't want anyone to hear. Rennie started to pace, found no room for it, and dropped onto the bottom stair. So it was all arranged from the beginning, he muttered angrily. The only person who could say for sure that these aren't the Whisperer's computers is Mr. Benedict, but he'll be suspected of sabotaging them. Out of spite, I suppose, unless they come up with some lucrative reason. They won't trust anything he says. The truth would disappear right along with the Whisperer. But the ten men, Kate said. Milligan shook his head. Thugs with the personal vendetta against Mr. Benedict and me. Not necessarily thieves. That's how it will be portrayed. They'll say Mr. Benedict seized upon this attack as an excuse, as a cover for something he did himself. They may even suggest he arranged it. He knelt down and gathered the children close to him. Listen, this is all about to get a great deal more complicated, and I need you to do exactly as I say. Can you do that? With a smile, he added. For once? They nodded. Milligan pursed his lips and looked at them askance. We will, Kate insisted. Thank you, Milligan said. All right. Mr. Benedict and the others will be getting back any time now, and my sentries will arrive as a team, and no doubt Gaines and all his crew will come too. 
This whole place will be a bedlam, with listening ears all around you, and you must say nothing about any of this, not a word, unless you're absolutely certain you're alone with one of us. Won't we be questioned? Rennie asked. You can say I ordered you not to speak to anyone. That will put them off for the time being, said Milligan. As he spoke, they heard corridors slamming and familiar voices talking excitedly in the courtyard, and two sirens that had been keening in the distance began to grow louder. They'll need to be moved. There's no help for it. My sentries and I have to track the salamander if we can, so I can't stay with you. Meanwhile, ten men are still on the prow of our Constance, who may lead them back right here, and I can't leave enough sentries behind to protect you properly. Won't moving us be risky too? asked Kate. Who would rather be near the action than shut away somewhere with no idea what was happening? Everything is risky now, I'm afraid, but the safest thing is to relocate you, and as soon as possible. My parents, Dickie began, they'll agree with me. Anyway, I'll be moving them too, but we'll all want you out of harm way first. Meanwhile, Kate here is the security key in the cellar. If we can get caught off guard again, this time you'll have a safer place to go. Milligan finished in a shout, for the siren sounded from just outside now, and their stupidest blaring persisted for some time, which made the courtyard reunion between the children and the adults a frustrating ordeal of yelling and gesturing. Only Mrs. Permal, who was heard of hearing, seemed unaffected by the clamor. She stood placidly by Rennie, patting him and nodding as everyone else plugged their ears and pulled their hair. Officers and agents jescalated on all sides. Neighborhood residents spilled into the street to gawk, and high overhead a much-agitated Madge wheeled and darted, her dreams of pigeon-hunting rudely disturbed. Then abruptly the sirens were cut off, and the roaring voice of Mr. Gaines broke over the scene. "'And where were you, Benedict? Tell me that!' The shout came from all the way from the backyard, where Mr. Benedict had gathered with several others to inspect the scent. His response was too quiet to hear, and the courtyard hubbub resumed, this time at a lower pitch. The Washingtons, the Permals, and Mutual Brazos, who had not found Constance, were bombarding the children with expressions of concern and questions about what happened. But the children, cleaving to Milligan's instructions, fended the questions off until later, for the courtyard remained crowded with agents, officers, and dazed-look houseguards. Rhonda appeared in the front door with a lantern. Quickly now, everyone, she said, beckoning the families inside. We have new arrangements to make. The arrangements were discussed by lantern light in the foyer, away from prying ears. In one hour, Rhonda said an armor car would take Mr. Benedict and the children to a police station. The drivers could be trusted. They were top sentries, handpicked by Milligan. Once the children were safely deposited, the sentries would return for the adults. Why the police station? Miss Primo asked. Mr. Benedict has to go there anyway, Rhonda said. That much has been made clear to us. Resisting will only waste time, and we haven't a second to spare. Nor can we spare any more than two sentries to drive, or trust anyone but Milligan's sentries to do it. The police station is reasonably secure and not very far. Even with the traffic jams, we should have everyone there in a few hours. What about Constance? Rennie asked. Rhonda rubbed her temples. She wasn't where he hoped to find her. Number two and I will stay here in case she wanders back, and Milligan will organize a new search once he determines whether the salamander can be tracked. He fears it cannot be done, nor past the river. But he has to make an attempt while the trail is fresh, if there's any chance at all. Here Rhonda checked herself. But it was clear enough to Rennie that she thought the situation desperate. She muttered a resolute smile, however, and she disturbed flashlights and sent everyone off to a pack overnight bags. Bring only essentials, she said, already hurrying out, and meet back here in one hour. The children insisted they would be fine going upstairs alone, not least because they wanted to talk in private as they mounted the dark staircase into the even darker darkness above. They whispered about the dread as they heard in Rhonda's voice. This wasn't the best way to bolster one's courage, it turned out, and before they were halfway up the stairs, Rennie and Sticky were both longing to go back down. 
Even Kate felt a strange prickling at the back of her neck, as if she were being watched. She kept spinning to shine her flashlight into some black, empty corner, then frowning and pressing on the boys, clutched their hearts and gasped for breath. "'I have an uneasy feeling,' said Kate at the top of the stairs. "'I think we should stick together while we pack.' "'If you insist,' Rennie said, wiping a sweaty palm against his shirt. And Sticky made a faint squeaking sound that was almost certainly a murmur of assent. "'But first let's have a look at the chamber,' Kate said, and she darted off before the boys could reply. Gathering themselves as best they could, they hurried after her bobbing flashlight. The hallway was in order, with no signs of a struggle. There hadn't been much of one, but the unguarded open chamber door was a strange sight, especially since they hadn't expected to find it smashed in. A quick inspection revealed that the timid of focus laser pointers onto the door's two locks. A turn of the knob and a hard shove accomplished the rest. And in the chamber beyond the overturned directive screen lay a pile of blackened contents, what certainly looked like that belonged to the Whisperer. If we didn't know better, Kate muttered, casting her flashlight beam over the pile, I'd say that was really it. Sticky sighed. Don't you wish it was? Then this whole nightmare would be over instead of just the beginning. The word nightmare reminded Rennie of Constance somewhere in the city, no doubt starting fearfully into the darkness even now, just as he had used to do upon waking from her terrible dreams. Do you think she's so confused? asked Kate, evidently thinking about the same thing. Maybe, Rennie said, or maybe she snapped out of it and wishes she hadn't. I wonder if she has any idea that the ten men really are searching for her, Sticky said. I can hardly stand to think about it, Rennie said, shaking his head. Let's get out of here. In a solemn silence, they made their way to the hallway where the bedrooms lay. They reached the boys' room first, and Kate grabbed the doorknob, only to leap back when a voice inside cried, What? Who's there? It's Mr. Bain, said Rennie in a choked voice, and realizing he was right, Kate flung open the door and shone her flashlight in. Mr. Bain sat in the middle of the floor, squinting in the powerful flashlight beam. His face a mixture of confusion and alarm. He tried to shield his eyes with one hand. Was that Rennie's voice I heard? Is that you, Rennie? What are you doing in here? Kate demanded, not lowering the light. And Kate, too, said Mr. Bain, still squinting. His head turned away from the light. He took his jacket from beside him and held it up to block the beam. Would you lower that flashlight? My head's killing me. Kate shone the beam a few seconds longer, just to make a point. Then lowered it and demanded again to where to know Mr. Bain was doing here. I... I'm not sure... They must have dragged me in here, said Mr. Bain, looking around the room as if seeing it for the first time. I, well, you saw me in the courtyard. I was completely taken aback. I'm sorry to say I got mixed up and thought Miss Plug had run into the house. When I came inside, though, she wasn't there. Then I heard the chamber guard shouting and ran up here to help. I followed noises down this hall. It was dark, and in my hurry I bumped right into a man with one eyebrow. The children exchanged glances. He was coming out of your room, Mr. Bain said to Kate. He pressed a handkerchief to my nose. It must have been dosed with something. I blacked out and only just woke up. When I heard you at the door, I thought you might be one of them. But they've all gone, obviously, or you wouldn't be poking around in the dark. Mr. Bain climbed to his feet. Now what's happened? How are the others? How long have I been out? You'd better report downstairs, Rennie said. People have been looking for you. Well, you're just full of answers, aren't you? Mr. Bain said coldly. And with a sniff, he pressed past them and fumbled away down the hall without benefit of a flashlight. They shone theirs after him until they were sure he was gone, and went into the boys' room. "'He's lying,' said Rennie, going straight to the window. "'Of course he's lying,' said Sticky. "'He's trying to cover for being a coward. I bet he just ran up here and hid where he thought it was safe.' "'I don't know,' said Kate. "'Why bother lying to us? He's never taken two seconds to speak to us before, so why start now? Maybe Crawlings really did knock him out, and he's too groggy to think straight.' "'Or he's hoping the more people he tells, the better his chances of being believed,' said Sticky.' 
Rennie watched Mr. Baines sulk out of the house into the backyard, where Mr. Benedict, Mr. Gaines, and several others remained in the hushed but heated conversation. Flashlights moved about the yard in dark lane beyond the fireflies on a summer night. Mr. Baines began his animated explanations, a voice rising to the window in a plaintive, untitled murmur. He was anxiously fiddling with his zipper again, having put the jacket back on. "'Tell me,' Rennie murmured, "'when do you think is the best time to take off your jacket?' Right before you run inside to find intruders, or right after you wake up in the dark, thinking they might just be outside the door. His jacket was off, wasn't it, Stiggy said. It's hot up here, Rennie said. He was probably sweltering, and I think we surprised him. We were quite coming down the hallway, otherwise I bet he put it back on before we saw him. Well, what else is new, said Kate. We couldn't trust that guy. Rennie felt he was missing something, but when he tried to concentrate, he kept seeing that strange sequence of numbers and letters in his head. He decided to wait a bit and try again. Sometimes answers came to him when he was thinking of other things. And in the meantime, he and Stiggy hurriedly packed their bags. They all went down to Kate's room. The door was open as she left it. No surprises this time. And with a quick super for flashlight, Kate verified the room was empty. He might have told the truth about crawling, she said, crossing to the window. Even if you lied about everything else, I did see crawlings coming out of the house after all. And we heard him tell Garrett which direction we ran. He could have seen us from the window. She went to her bed and dragged over an overnight bag from beneath it. They were looking for us, Sticky said. We know that much already. Yes, but it doesn't seem they knew which rooms to search first, Kate said, smoothing the bed skirt, which she had only very slightly disturbed. It was only a few seconds before they came out after us. Out of habit, she glanced around for other things to tidy. Even in the dark, she managed to locate a wrinkle in the red. An arid scrap of paper and a floor lamp Sticky had accidentally knocked crooked with his bag. Sorry, Sticky said as she straightened the lamp and put his bag in the hall. So you think they ran up here? You think Mr. Bain told them? I don't know who else. Kate cut herself off. Rennie was staring at her. What? Am I missing something? Rennie shone his flashlight at the scrap of paper in her hand. What's that, Kate? Kate looked down, surprised. This? Oh, just a scrap I saw on the rug. I was going to throw it away. She looked up suddenly again, her eyes wide. But hey, didn't I? Leave the rug spotless? Yes, you did. We stood right here and watched you. So someone... Crawling, Stiggy said. Remember how McCracken was always saying how careless he was? Kate turned her flashlight onto the paper. Only a number here. Two, one, zero, zero. And looks like a H after that. Rennie went to the waste paper basket. There was more scraps of paper inside. He tore something up and threw it away. And in the darkness, he noticed that he dropped his scrap, Kate said. Rennie pieced the scraps together on the rug. Some came from an envelope that had been unsealed with a letter opener. Remember those letter openers? Stiggy murmured with a shiver and bore on the front signature a letter C, which they thought probably stood for crawlings, and the rest formed a note. Rin Divinus and Church Abbot Eliphas to one hundred hours. I think I see what's happening, Rennie said. The ten men were carrying sealed instructions to be open in certain circumstances, maybe, or else they just when they got here. It makes sense, says Sticky. Mr. Curtin knew they couldn't use radios or phones, and didn't trust anyone to know its plans ahead of time. He was careful about being pretty vague, said Kate. I know two one hundred hours is nine o'clock, and Rendivinus means to meet somewhere. But where? And who or what is this abbot edifice? Is this a person or a place? Stiggy furrowed his brow. It's kind of both. An edifice is a building, and an abbot is a superior an abbey, or... Slow down, said Kate. An abbey's a kind of church, right? It can be, Stiggy said, speaking slowly. Abbey usually refers to convent or monastery, under the supervision of an abbess or abbot. But sometimes the church in one of those places is called the Abbey as well. Okay, said Kate, so they're going to meet up again at nine o'clock at a certain convent or monastery. 
definitely a monastery. The note says abbot, not abbess. A monastery, then, and then they're going to search one of the buildings, Kate said. But which monastery and which building? Wait, Rennie said, Jimmy to his feet. A monastery is where monks live, right? Susan the abbot a monk, too? Mr. Curtin isn't just being vague. He's using code words. Of course, Dickie said. So abbot edifice is code for the monk building, Kate cried. But why search there, Rennie said, his eyes darting back and forth. Unless... Okay, Mr. Curtin must know that Mr. Benedict has a connection to the monk building. So maybe... If the Timmen didn't find everything they expected to find here, then Mr. Kern's instructions would send them to look there, Kate said, and glancing at the wall clock, which fortunately was battery-powered, she added, In fifteen minutes! We need to tell Milligan! And she dashed from the room. Rennie and Sticky followed as quickly as they could, but Rennie stumbled over Sticky's bag in the hall, and Sticky stumbled over Rennie. By the time they got downstairs, Kate was waiting for them, bouncing up and down the patiently. We're too late! He's off with the sentries already! What about Mr. Benedict, Rennie said, or Rhonda, or number two? They're all surrounded by officials, and Mr. Bain's right there with him. And, oh, we don't have time for this. It just takes ages to get Mr. Benedict by himself. But if the Timmen are looking for something important, we need to get there first. With a jolt of alarm, Rennie realized that Kate meant to go to the monk building herself. But before he could argue about how crazy this was, she held up the key Milligan had given her. I can take the secret passage. They'll never see me. I'll check the people's first, so they're already in the office. I won't blunder in on them. And if there are, where I can spy on them. Whoa, slow down, Kate, said Sticky. We need to. But there was no slowing her down. She was off to the front door before Sticky could finish. Rennie said, if we can't stop her. I know, Sticky said, hurrying after her. We'll have to go, too. When they reached the front door, Kate was halfway across the courtyard and heading for the gate. Striding along with her, though none too steadily, was a bedraggled Miss Plug. The police officers had moved off to usher the neighbors back inside their homes, and the day's chamber guards still sat on the steps. No one appeared to question what Miss Plug and her young charge were doing. Said you were to stand guard in the yard, Kate was saying to the boys caught up in them, and absolutely no one else is to know. What is it you hope to find down there? asked Miss Plug, who seemed grateful to have been given a duty. I can't say, but it's important, and you're not to say anything or let anyone come down there, and we have to keep quiet ourselves. We? Miss Plug turned and saw Rennie and Sticky behind her. Oh, hello, boys. So don't bother calling down to ask if we're all right, Kate continued. And when the guard's bow wrinkled, she said adequately, Sorry, Miss Plug, I'd explain more, but we have to hurry. The car gets here in half an hour. Half an hour, Miss Plug repeated, and checked her watch. They were across the street now and hastening toward the cellar doors. Sticky was pleading with his eyes for Rennie to stop them, and Rennie wanted to, yet he couldn't bring himself to do any more than Sticky could. All it would take was one word to Miss Plug about what Kate really intended. But then what? Confusion, argument, delay? The Timon would get there first, and then what might be their only chance to stop Mr. Curran would be lost. Rennie couldn't fathom living with that knowledge, so despite the warning bells in his head and the revolt in his belly, he held his tongue, and down into the cellar the three of them went. Glad you're coming, Kate whispered, but you know I can't wait for you. I need to run fast. Holding her flashlight under her arm, she directed it to the middle of the door and inserted the key into the lock. If I'm in trouble when you get there, you can hurry back here for help. She turned to reassure them as the door swung open. Don't worry, though. I won't be in trouble. Wait, Sticky said, jumping forward to catch her by the arm. He missed. She was already several paces down the secret passage, but she stopped and turned expectantly. Your flashlight. Remember to turn it off before you get to the anteroom. If it's dark in the office, your light will show through the peepholes. Gosh, glad you thought of that, said Kate. Thanks. And she was gone. It was more than a year since they had been in the secret passage, and the boys entered the dark, narrow, gloomy tunnel with no little trepidation. Their criss-costing flashlights swept just not the floor, but the walls and the ceiling, too, annoying several spiders and centipedes in a skittering retreat. Rennie swallowed hard. Ready? 
Not really, said Sticky, but I suppose it doesn't matter. Together they counted to three, took a deep breath, and ran to the gloom after Kate. Thank you.